name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, amen. I'm so happy to be here with you, and um, uh, God has been really gracious to me in allowing me to follow the progress of um, St. Mark and St. Mary of Egypt uh, since its very beginning, um, when um, some... Uh, uh, of the the priest the priests um, uh, spoke with me and and I came to visit and to pray um, several times uh, with the church here um, and developed a you know a rekindled the friendship that I had with them growing up because I grew up in Montreal and when they asked me to come um, really uh, to support. This new big step, it was a real joy in my heart because my church is also downtown uh, in, 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 in Toronto and we just purchased a property two years ago and I got to see how God uses that transition uh, for His glory and it's very, very exciting. So this is a very, very exciting time for the church. Um, and not only because it's a new building and a new this and a new that, but it's because God really, really uses this step, this stability that uh, um, Father Maxim was referen referencing is very true. And um, people, people find, find a home that, that they can, that's tangible um, in a place. And so I'm so, so happy for you. Uh, you know, I don't know if uh, I don't know if if this will be the case for you, but for us, our congregation grew about forty percent, um, and that is of all comers, people from the street and people from friendships that existed already, and also people uh, who have been Coptic Orthodox their whole lives, but just never found a home, and they found a home. Uh, when we found the building, so uh, God bless you, and may that be uh, may that be the case for you. I want to speak about something very particular, though. I want to speak about uh, mission in the inner city because it's not something that people are familiar with, especially in the Coptic Church. When I was first ordained as a priest, I encountered a lot of issues that I didn't know what to do with. And uh, I was taught in my 40 days uh, of priest training, I was taught to, to reach out to the other priests and to ask them for guidance and ask them for advice, so I did. And I asked them, what, you know, what would you do about this and what would you do about that and what would you do about um, people who are intoxicated, who come into your services and are rowdy? You know, would you kick them out? But that's not really Christian, like, or, but they're disturbing the service. So what do you do about that? And a lot of Coptic priests just kind of looked at me like, I don't know, you know, because a lot of Coptic churches are suburban, you know, and they have like, you know, a very, you know, like, you know, they have their own kind of issues they deal with, but they're very different from the issues that we deal with in the city. And it really made me question, like, who, who should I go to? And so I started learning from whoever I could learn from. And in so doing, I discovered that God loves the city. He absolutely loves the city. Listen to this from Jonah 4.11. 
God is telling Jonah, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Should I not be concerned about that great city? He asks Jonah. Should I not be concerned about this great city of Ottawa? God loves the city. He loves the inner city. In the 1700s, only 2% of the population was urban. In 1900, only 9% of the world population could have been considered urban. In the, 19, in the 1950s, 27%. By 1996, 50% of the world's population live in the heart of a city. God loves the city. And if people are going to cities, God wants us to go to the city and to serve them. So God bless you. God bless St. Mark and St. Mary of Egypt. God bless the servants. God bless your future priests and priests that you are taking on God's heart and going into the city to go and to serve the people whom God is concerned about. Now the city has unique challenges that are not present elsewhere that I alluded to a little earlier. And God is calling us to go. Um, we use this word mission or missionary and, and it's maybe good just to remind each other or ourselves of what that, that word means. It comes from the Latin word missio, which simply means to go. So, and, and when people say every church is a mission church, every Christian is a missionary, I agree. God is calling every single one of us to have an outward focus, to be looking out. Yes, looking in. Yes, looking at my own repentance. Yes, having my own, my own quiet and reverential uh, relationship with God without a shadow of a doubt. But God is calling us to look out to our neighbor, to love God and to love our neighbor and to look out to our neighbor and to reach out to him and we're gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about that but we have to recognize that that reaching out is gonna be different downtown than it's gonna be um, in, in, a, in a suburban context the population density downtown is much higher so the ways we're gonna go about it very well could be different the population density of Toronto I'm just talking about what I know is about 4,000 inhabitants per square kilometer. The, the population density of downtown Toronto is 13 and a half thousand. That's more than three times. Manhattan is double that, 27,000 inhabitants per square kilometer. The foot traffic is amazing. All I have to do, literally, if I'm, if I'm doing confessions at church, all I have to do is open the door of the church to do mission. People come in. All the time. I literally do my, sometimes I do my appointments in the entrance of the church, in the vestibule of the church. If it's not something confidential, like if it's a, a meeting about how to organize the service or this or that or whatever, that it's okay if somebody walks in on. I want to be interrupted. I want people to come in and interrupt what I'm doing. I tell you something, this is a, kind of a bit of a confession. Sometimes I pack, my, my schedule is full back to back. And sometimes in downtown Toronto, walking is more effective than driving, for sure. Because parking and this and that, and it's a big hassle, right? So I walk places. Many times, many, many times I'm rushing to get from one appointment to the next, and this and that, and then what do I find? I find myself bumping into somebody on the street. Sometimes somebody I know, sometimes it's not. Random people walk up to me and say, Father, can I confess? usually done some, something they feel guilty about. I asked Sayyidna, Sayyidna told me, yes, anybody who wants to confess, 
receive them, right? Find any alley, any corner. He, he says, she says what they have to say. I pray for them and I carry on on my way. I remember once this guy stopped me and wanted to confess. He just had had some inappropriate relations and this and that. And he was very upset. And I was late for a very important meeting. And I didn't want to stop. But I stopped. He confessed. I prayed for him. And I carried on on my way. And I felt in my heart that the only thing God wanted me to do that day was to witness the confession of this one person. It's completely different. It's completely different from being in the suburbs. It's just different. It's not better, it's not worse, it's just different. So we can't use the methods of the suburbs in the inner city because it's different. And we have to prepare ourselves for that. The cassock is a blessing, you know? Wearing a cross is a blessing. Because there's a lot of people and people see that. They see it on the subway. They, they see you reading your Bible on the subway or on the bus. They see that, right? There's also an increased cost of living. Living in the city is often a lot more expensive than living outside. These are, these are things we have to take into account for our parishioners, right? And make sure that church is accessible to them. There's cultural diversity. There's the cultural neighborhoods. There's little Portugal, little Italy, little Greece, little, little India. All these, little, all these, all these neighborhoods. We have, to, we have to see how can we serve them? What do they need? And how can we be relevant to them? There's a big LGBTQ community. How can we serve them? There's religious diversity. How can we serve people of other religions? We have to ask ourselves, who is downtown? Downtown is full of all kinds of different people. Students, young professionals, young couples, what we call the poor, for the lack of a better word. Lots of mental illness, lots of social illness, lots of pain, lots of pain, lots of suffering. The church needs to be a place of encouragement. Honestly, my spiritual father is always telling me, Abuna, balance the message of encouragement with the message of repentance. Always balance the two together. But I find, I find that when he comes to visit me, he says, Abuna, just keep encouraging people. People are suffering so much, the last thing they need is Abuna to be the cause of their suffering as well. Our congregation is maybe more transient. Students come, they're here for four years and they leave. Young, young couples, they come, they marry, they want to live downtown. And then they have a growing family, they realize maybe it's not as practical, they want to move out to the suburbs. People come and go, we have to prepare ourselves for that. It's different than the suburbs where people go and they settle and they stay. Maybe God wants us not to be a mission church, maybe He wants us to be a mission school, where people come and they learn this outward focused spirit, to be looking out to others and wanting to reach out to others and wanting to do for others. And then, they, and then we send them. Maybe God doesn't want us to have a big seating capacity. Maybe God wants us to have a big sending capacity. God will reveal these things to you. As, as the church grows and as you grow in your ministry, God will reveal these things to you. There's the poor. I hate the word the poor because I have always felt that I was poorer than the people we're calling poor. And we'll talk about that. People who are fragile, people who are disabled, people who are advanced in age, refugees, families are disappearing from the city. Where are they going? Right? And who is serving them? All of these are questions. I don't have answers for all of them. But they're questions for us to ask. Questions for us to, to, to ponder. To see who, 
who are the people in the, that are in the place where God has sent us? God has sent us here. He has brought us here. Who are the people who are here that, God is, that God's heart is concerned about, like it said in Jonah? There's another big, big factor in downtown. People commute to downtown. Should we be serving them only in the evenings and on weekends? Should we be serving them during the daytime? Should we be serving them during business hours? Before work, at lunch, and the lunch hour, immediately after work, before they go home. Imagine if you had a prayer meeting in your workplace that every single Wednesday there was a prayer meeting in your workplace, there was a Bible study in your workplace, there was an outreach meeting in your workplace, there was a liturgy in your workplace. Imagine that. What, what kind of blessing would that be to you? Honestly, workplace ministry, I'm so passionate about it. You folks who are at work, you folks who are at school, you are the front line of evangelism. Like, who, how are we going to evangelize people in the church? But they're inside the church. The people who want to evangelize, the people who want to share the gospel with, the people who are, who are hurting and broken are outside. You are outside by the very nature of your life. You go to work. You're surrounded by people who may or may not know Jesus. And if they know Him, do they have a life-giving relationship with Him? Who cares if they come to our church? Help them to reestablish their relationship with Christ and go to any church. I believe in my faith and I believe that the faith is mostly revealed in our church as opposed to others. Sure, fine. But help them, right? How are you going to help them if the church isn't helping you? Imagine, imagine you get drafted, you're all getting drafted for military service, okay? You're all going to go get drafted for military service. You say, we need you to fight for the king. Which king? King Jesus. You say, I'll fight for King Jesus. Okay, we're all ready to go fight for King Jesus. And so you're ready to fight for King Jesus. I'm ready to fight for King Jesus. Are you ready to fight for I'm ready to fight for King Jesus. Okay, bring the lunch. Uh, sorry, sorry, Abuna. Yes, bring your lunch. Bring, you know, in a brown paper bag, bring the lunch. Uh, sorry, Abuna. Um, how long is this war gonna last? Is it last gonna till last till Jesus' second coming? Right? Okay, okay Abuna. But wh why do you why do you want me to bring a lunch? Because we don't we don't serve food. Uh, Abuna, sorry. I'm gonna go to the battlefield. I'm gonna be on the front lines. There's no food, but you're gonna bring the lunch. Does that make sense? Does it make sense for the church to send us out and then not support us? Does it make sense for the church to send us to our workplaces and send us to our schools and send us and tell us evangelize, go and preach and teach and baptize and bring, bring the good news to people and then not support us? Of course not. Maybe God has planted this church in this place to support you, to bring the gospel to people in your workplaces, in your schools, everywhere that you go. Maybe that's why God has put this church here. Who knows? Who knows? In... Um, like the people who study churches, ecclesiology, they have two models of churches. Like, I mean, there's a million models, but this is one model. There's the community church, which is a church which is in a neighborhood and it serves that neighborhood. So the people of that neighborhood are served by the church. That's one model. Another model is the destination church. It's a church which has something special. So the people who go to that church, they come from all over town. I tell you, our church is about 50-50, right? About 50% of the people who, who you see on a Sunday are people who are from our, from our, like from our neighborhood, people who come walking or they ride, they ride a bike in or they drive but they really don't need to. The other 50% come from far and wide. Some people drive an hour to come to our church, right? So they're coming for a reason. 
They come for a reason. But I tell you something. I mean, I'm not. I'm just telling you. I'm just sharing research with you. Destination churches die. Destination churches die. Why do they die? They die because of this. They die because their neighborhood kills them. Right? Suppose, suppose, God bless you. Suppose that SMSM becomes a destination church where people are coming from all over town, but you're not serving your local community. You're not serving these neighbors that, that were all parked in front of their houses today, right? And we're blocking their driveways and we're, you know, and our garbage is overflowing and the raccoons are jumping from our garbage into theirs. And right, you know, if we don't serve them, they will slowly, slowly, slowly vomit us out of this neighborhood, right? So God is calling us to serve our local community, the people who are our neighbors, the people who are just, just across the way from us. The, just a, like a thermometer, like just a question to ask ourselves. If we were to leave this place, would they like, uh, you know, tell us good riddance? Or would they cry that we're leaving? We, we rented a whole bunch of different churches before God gave us a permanent home. And some of them literally were crying when we left. And some of them were, uh, you know, telling us like, good riddance. Don't give us the last rent check. Just leave. Just go. <laughs> right? We have to ask ourselves why. We have to ask ourselves why and what we can do to, to fix that. Another, another pain, another suffering that exists downtown is this concept of vertical villages. Back in the day, people lived in villages, right? When, 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 ur when, when the urban population of the world was only 2%, the other 98% of people lived in villages. A village was something from about 150 to 1,000 people. You know, over a thousand people who haven't come to that town, a city, something bigger. But about 250, 300 people, 400 people. And they all lived, and they all lived, and they could all see each other. Because they all lived on the same vertical level, right? Horizontal. Uh, same, uh, sorry, horizontal level, exactly. Thank you, Abuna, for the correction, right? Now, downtown, how do we live? We live in villages of about 300 to 1,000 people, but we live on top of each other, right? So, before, when you're going, like, like now I live in, my wife and I just moved to this really cute neighborhood a year ago. Every morning, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every morning I make myself a cup of coffee and I go sit on my front porch and I read. I read the Bible, I read a book, I read. The woman across from me, she reads the paper and has a smoke. The guy next to her reads the paper and has a smoke. And the three of us, we all look at each other, we smile and whatever. One, one, one Tuesday, I, I didn't come out, I can't remember what I did, I slept in something, right? I found a knock at the door at 10 o'clock in the morning, right? And there was Maria asking me, are you okay? Are you okay, Father? Are you sick? I said, no, I'm fine, everything's good. She goes, okay, I didn't see you this morning. I figured I'd come and ask, right? She saw me struggling to find a parking spot on our street. She told me, park in my driveway. My husband's away for a week, park in my driveway, no problem, right? People, when they lived all on the same level, like, like, you know, not like socioeconomic level, just on the same level of ground, they could see each other. And if somebody was sick, if somebody was absent, if somebody's behavior changed, they could tell. Now we live all on top of each other. Nobody knows anything, right? And you get into the elevator in your condo, and you see the same person taking the elevator at the same time as you every single day. And if you say hello to them, you're a stalker, 
right? Nobody's allowed to talk to anybody. Nobody's allowed to ask anybody how they're doing. Nobody's allowed to say, how was your day? Right? We live in this fragmented, broken society. What does the church have to say about that? What does the church have to do for that? One of the youth came to me long before we had a building and was, we were discussing this. And this is all supported by a research paper done by United Way called Vertical Villages. And uh, so we read through the paper together and he came up with a great idea. I said, you know what? I'm gonna do, let's do a rooftop barbecue on top of my building and let's invite, let's invite the whole building. I, we, we counted roughly 26 floors, about 20 units in each one, say 1.5 people living in each one. We did the math. We're like, I told him, dude, you're gonna, we're gonna invite like, 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 like 2,000 people to this barbecue. He says, let's invite them, right? If, if, if 1% come out, it'll be great. That's about what happened. About 200 people came. That building is very close to my old workplace and I still park there sometimes when I'm going uh, to, you know, to the hospital to visit people and stuff like that. And to this day, people remember that barbecue. It was never repeated. To this day, people tell me, you're the priest. You're the priest who did the barbecue in the building. And I'm like, actually, it wasn't me. It was one of our parishioners, right? Because it's so far out of the norm. It's so far out of the norm of the fragmentation uh, social fragmentation of downtown. I'm just, I'm just sharing, I'm just sharing ideas with you. But this isn't something you can do in the suburbs because the problem in the suburbs are different, right? All kinds of different things that we can do downtown that are so much fun. The poor, all oh, the poor. Jesus says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was alone and naked. You visited me, sick and in prison and you visited me. I was naked and you clothed me. We have really learned this by experience, that when we reach out to serve somebody else and Jesus has put that person there for the purpose of us serving them, that when we touch them, we touch Christ. And when we touch Christ with the faith that we are touching Him, power goes out from Him and heals us, as it did with the woman of the issue of blood. Remember that woman who said, if I but touch the hem of His garment, I will be healed. When I take a piece of bread, when I take a half of my Subway sandwich, and I give it to somebody, and my hand touches His, power goes out of that person that Jesus says when you fed him you fed me these are the vicars of Christ the deputies of Christ the people God has put there to receive from us that's their purpose they are a blessing they are a blessing to us they are a blessing to us and I am actually not that different from them in fact, what we realize that the, the main, our overarching aim that we should have in our service of the poor should be rather not to distinguish between the poor and the rich or them and us, but to try to efface those boundaries and just make it we. We're all the same. We're all on the same playing ground. You're a human, I'm a human. You're created in the image and likeness of God, I'm created in the image and likeness of God. You need God's healing in your own ways and I need God's healing in my own ways. And together, God heals you and He heals me. Together, He serves, he serves them through us. On campus, 
Our students on campus are, are just, just like you in your workplace. They need, they need the support of the church. There's no, better, there's no better thing to do than to support our students as they're in this culture of open-mindedness. Yes, people are open-minded to all kinds of ideas that are against Christ, but people are open-minded in general. And they'll be also open-minded to hearing compelling arguments about why they should consider, why they should really consider the presence of Christ in their lives. Dinner discussion series. Something else we discovered. We discovered this beautiful tool of just inviting the community to come in, have dinner, hear a talk, and then discuss the talk through some guided questions. Very simple little tool that we learned, and it works wonders. It works wonders. You, you share a meal with somebody, and you're ready to, to discuss anything afterwards with them. We started, somebody told us, why don't you, why don't you do your marriage prep course for the whole community? Why, why is your marriage prep course only for Copts? We said, that makes a lot of sense. So we started advertising our marriage prep course months in advance, putting posters outside the church. And God always sends us a, a few couples that come in that have no relationship to the church. Our marriage prep course, which was exclusively something pastoral, exclusively was to prepare our new families in our church to know how to live together and how to be holy families has now become a, an entry point for people to come into the church, right? People, people know that marriage is struggling in North America. People know that. It's not just Coptic people who know that. Everybody knows that. And people who are invested in their marriage will come. Why not do that? We started a parenting course. God is doing the same thing with us. We want to do a bereavement course for people who are suffering a loss, right? Who teaches you? Who counsels you when you're suffering a loss? I mean, my fathers are excellent. They're much better than me. But I don't know how to counsel people, right? Why not do something structured and open it up to the community and see who comes and see who walks in through your doors? Why not search in the city and see where are the areas that no one is serving. We started, we noticed after a while of serving people in the, in the downtown core in our area that there are no families. In the beginning there was some families, but now there's none. So we started asking questions. We found that the city wanted to, to, to kind of do something different with the real estate that was occupied by these families and they moved them out to other areas. We went to go check out some of these areas. Some of them we found are very well served. Other areas we found were deserts. There's nothing to serve these people. Why not, as the church grows, starts satellite ministries, going out to serve people in their place, in, in their place where they are, where they live, where they work, and serve them there. All kinds of different, all kinds of different things that we can do. And there are challenges. There are challenges which are specific to serving downtown, and there are challenges which are which are like you know uh, everywhere. One of the challenges everywhere is that the need is so great. When we ask God to open our eyes to see the need to serve, you'll find it overwhelming. I promise you. When God opens our eyes to see it, you'll find it overwhelming, and you'll be saying with Jesus that indeed the harvest is great and the laborers are few. 
I tell you the truth. I haven't stopped somebody on the street to talk to them about Jesus once and been refused. Not once I have been refused. The world is thirsty. The world is thirsty. But there's only one of me. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? We need more laborers. We need more workers. We need more people who are saying, I will serve you, Jesus. I will go, go to war with you. And I'll bring my back lunch too. I want to share with you, I want to close with a quote. It's one of my favorite quotes about what evangelism is all about. This is from a valedictory address by uh, Professor Emeritus, who's now gone to, uh, gone to heaven, Father Thomas Hopko. Um, they asked this valedictory class of a, in a seminary, asked him to be their valedictorian. And this is uh, the closing part of his speech. He says this, Men and women who are truly theologically and spiritually educated reveal a boldness born of humility, a confidence tempered by tentativeness, a speech generated by silence, an apology inspired by charity. They resist premature closure of complex issues and superficial answers to complicated questions. They know how to live with ambiguity as they give with meekness and gentleness account for the hope that is in them. They speak the truth in love, with an enlightened zeal that prevents them from replacing God's righteousness with a righteousness of their own. They evangelize without seeking to convert. They witness without seeking to win. They teach without desiring to dominate. They testify to truths in which they delight and find life, whatever the cost of their convictions, because they simply cannot do otherwise. And they have infinite respect for everyone and everything. God bless you.